You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. awkward music cut off again welcome back to the mobile studio guys coming at you once again from gulf shores alabama having the time of our lives uh baby's taking a nap right now so recording another podcast for y'all and uh yeah we got a good one here this is going to be probably short and sweet uh we're going to cover five things to do before summer five things that y'all need to do before summertime gets here and before it gets too hot so um again like i said if you missed last week's episode on vacation, uh, Emperor Dan and his court jester Josh, as I like to refer to him as, uh, the guys who actually put this stuff out to y'all, they're about to be on vacation themselves, and so trying to get a few episodes out for them so that we can all just enjoy ourselves. So, uh, so yeah, that's why this one's a little bit more uh, rough cut. The audio might not be quite as good. I'm using my mobile setup here, a little bit cheaper mic, and my work computer instead of my big desktop. So, so that's the skinny. Um, not much of an intro. We're just going to get right into it. I do want to thank my partners, though, as always, Arrowhead Land Company, Deer Lab, Bravado Wireless, and private water fishing and then if we have some time at the end i might talk about uh our hog hunt from a few weekends ago i just realized i never never talked about that on the podcast a couple guys from the sportsman's empire came down went hog hunting with me so so yeah if we have some time at the end might talk a little hog hunting so that's gonna do it for this intro we're just gonna jump on into it right now all right, guys, like I mentioned, today we're going to be covering five things to do before summer. Spring's coming to an end. We're almost halfway through April at this point, and so it's going to be getting hot soon. The water's going to be drying up soon, you know, lack of rain and everything. So here are a few things that you need to get done before it gets truly hot and summer really hits us. So number one, it's time to finish up those habitat projects. Uh, maybe you started some TSI work, maybe like me, you, uh, you know, did a nice fire break and haven't got to burn yet. Uh, maybe you started a, a water hole or planting some screening cover around your food plots, whatever it is, it's time to get those finished up. Uh, you know, it's getting pretty late in the year for TSI. Uh, trees are already starting to green up and put leaves on. That's usually not a very good time to be cutting stuff down. Um, man, I know y'all have heard me talk about my struggle with, with burning this year. I made my awesome, uh, fire break, used the dozer, had about, uh, gosh, I keep forgetting, 30, 30 acres, something like that, that I wanted to burn. And the weather and my schedule just have not uh, 
timed out together. Um, I, I actually looked at it last weekend. A lot of the stuff that I that I dozed is actually starting to grow grass already in the fire break. Um, so if if I do find a chance to get to burn it, I'm probably going to have to to redo the fire break, at least kind of touch it up in a bunch of areas um, because we just kind of had an early spring. And then, be, uh, again, because of that early spring, things are getting green already. It's going to be tough to get it to burn anyway. Um, still thinking about trying it just to to see what I can get. Um, there's a lot of areas that I'm going to be burning that's, you know, old dead vegetation, leaves, stuff like that. So I think I could still have a, a decent burn. Um, but again, the window on that is closing, um, you know, water holes, this is a great time to put one of those in. Um, but again, pretty soon the rain's going to be shutting off and so you won't be able to fill it. So, uh, get that done. Uh, screening cover. I got my switchgrass in two weeks ago, I think. Um, so that was really cool. Really excited about that. Um, I th- I'm trying to think if we've gotten a rain on it since I planted it. I, I got it in like an hour before we were supposed to get a huge storm and then the storm ended up pushing just a little bit north of us, and we got very little water on it. Um, but the the ground was pretty saturated to begin with. Um, I used our new finishing plow. Uh, you know, just did like a really light plowing on it, kind of get that good exposed dirt. Um, put the put or straightened out the the rows and hit it again to kind of get that nice seed bed. Uh, ended up just broadcasting the seed because I mean, ten pounds of seed on over two acres is just nothing and so end up buying like a little hand spreader um spread the seed and then ran the disc over it really lightly one last time to kind of cover it up and think i'm going to be in good position there so yeah any any type of habitat project you've been working on time to get it wrapped up because it's just getting a little bit late in the year so number two number two is get your stands blinds and feeders set up um maybe you just ended up not hunting a tree stand very often last year because it wasn't in a great spot. Time to take that thing down, move it somewhere else. Um, you know, if maybe you had a, a one of your blinds or something that just something was off with it. For me, uh, one of mine, the cows rubbed on it real bad and they pushed the front legs out. And so it was like leaning forward all season long and I never had a chance to fix it and didn't want to take the tractor back there and disturb everything. So I need to lift that puppy up and put some blocks under the front or something to raise that front end back up. The like trying to rest again on the window was just not going to happen because it was way too low. So, uh, so yeah, new stands, move old stands, replace straps. That's a big one. Um, I don't replace the straps on my tree stands every year, but I try to do it every two years and max three years. Um, kind of depending on what kind of tree it's in. If it's like a, a kind of a smoother bark tree and it's not growing much, you know, I might try to push it to three, but usually every two years I'm trying to replace those straps. So, um, you know, if you have your feeders uh, pinned, you know, fences around them, uh, you know, make sure all the wires are good, make sure they haven't rusted off, make sure the pigs aren't getting in there, or the cows haven't knocked them down. Uh, just really get that stuff squared away because that's stuff that you definitely don't want to do when it's 100 degrees outside. I did that last year. Um, I bought a bunch of panels midsummer. And I was out there driving T-post and dragging panels around in the blazing hot sun, and it just wasn't very fun. So this is a great time of year to do that before it gets too hot. Um, As I mentioned, the trees are starting to put on leaves, but they're not fully leafed yet. And so you can still kind of see how things are going to be when fall rolls around, Um, you know, see if you need to do any trimming or not. Uh, If you do hang stands... I don't do too much trimming this time of year. That I do wait till the summer, you know, until season gets a little bit closer. 
um, because you just don't know how things are going to grow and you don't want to cut too much. I'm way more worried about cutting too much than not enough. Um, so yeah, move your stands, hang your stands, get your blinds ready, get your feeders ready, uh, but maybe hold off just a little bit on the trimming. All right, number three, this one's pretty obvious. It's time to put in those spring food plots. Um, ground temps are rising. We're still getting good rain, but that's probably going to start going away pretty soon. Uh, so if you put in spring food plots, we're coming up on prime time, late April, early May. Great time to get that seed in the ground. Um, I was actually talking to my uh, my sister's father-in-law uh, when I was up in Nebraska. He's a full-time farmer. Uh, they do mostly beans and corn. And this year, for the first time, I'm going to try to p- plant some soybeans for the deer. So I was asking him a few questions because I feel like I want to wait as late as possible um, because I want some of that to you know hold off until the fall. So I was asking him about you know, uh, spacing, uh, you know, row spacing, uh, how late I can wait temperature, that type of thing. Um, he's, he's, so our, uh, our planter is on seven and a half inch rows. He suggested that I tape over every other row to, you know, push it out to about 15 inches. He said, that's pretty standard. Um, basically if you get them too close, even though, even though you're getting more seed in the ground, it's just a little bit close. Um, he does know some people who do that, but he recommended me go ahead and do the 15 inch spacing. And, uh, and then he, his suggestion was basically wait as long as I think I can, but still have rain. Um, he said, you know, they'll still grow into the summer. Um, soybeans, I, I, I don't know. I've never, I have zero ex- experience with soybeans, but apparently they're fairly easy to grow. Um, you know, if you have your good seed bed and everything. And so he told me, especially if I'm trying to get, you know, fall grazing so I can hunt over them. Uh, like I said, wait as long as possible. Just make sure that I'm going to get some rain on them, especially at the beginning, you know, to kind of get them kick-started. So, uh, so yeah, no matter what you're planting, whether it's cereal grains, soybeans, corn, whatever, it's getting about that time. It's probably already time or past time to plant corn. Um, we have way too many hogs for me to try to plant a, a corn food plot, so I'm going to try the soybeans. Um, and I think my plan is to uh, plant the whole food plot, and then when we get closer to fall, um, I can't decide if I want to, like, take down half of them or just plant into half of them. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that just yet. But I want to leave about half of it in soybeans and then the other half into more of a fall food plot. Uh, you know, wheat, oats, turnips, that type, that type of thing. Uh, the, the wheat that I planted last year is looking awesome. I was just up there a week or two ago. And, uh, and it was really popping. So I got a lot of food out there right now, which I'm loving that. Uh, I'm going to terminate the wheat, going to plant the soybeans and, you know, within a few weeks should have a nice green food plot. Uh, I think I'm planting two different plots. One's about three acres. One's about two acres. Uh, the other, the, the two acre one was an acre and a half, but I already went back there with the dozer and did some more clearing, took out some trees that were in the middle of the plot took out some trees that were kind of on the edge uh, because I really wanted to push that to a full two acres because I think soybeans are one of those crops that you can plant um, too small. Like if you don't have enough acreage, the deer are just going to come in and wipe them out and they can't recover. They can't keep up with the browse pressure. So I pushed that out to two acres. I'm not even sure that's going to be big enough, um, but I'm definitely going to try it. And again, I'm not too concerned with like harvesting these beans. I want them there for the deer. Uh, to feed them, attract them, all that good stuff. And so hopefully two acres is enough. I think the three-acre one should be just fine. Both of those also, that's where I planted the switchgrass for the screening. 
So very, very excited about those food plots coming up this fall. Um, any other notes on that? I think that's it. If you're going to be plant f- fall food plots, now's the time. All right, number four. This one is we're going to talk about trail cameras. So um, I put on here basically just check your trail cameras to make sure they still work. Um, every year it seems like I lose you know one or two, usually end up buying one or two a year. Uh, but you just want to make sure that they're still working. Um, you know, if the batteries are dead, put new batteries in them. Uh, put an SD card in there. Set them up in your living room, backyard, whatever you want to. Walk by it a few times. Wait a couple minutes. Walk by it again. And just make sure that it's taking pictures. Um, because I I have experienced it several times. You put a camera out there. You leave it for, you know, a month, two months, whatever. You come back and check it in zero pictures. It happened to me this year, actually. Um, and it's silly me. I thought it was just, uh, that I'd forgot to turn it off or turn it on. I mean, so I flipped it back on, left it for like another month, came back, still zero pictures. It said it was working. It just wasn't. So make sure they're actually taking pictures. If you're going to store them for a little while, make sure you take all the batteries out of them. Uh, make sure the SD cards are cleared because you don't want to, you know, use the same card over and over again. Eventually it gets full and then it won't save any more pictures. So make sure you're clearing the SD cards, checking all the pictures. Um, and then also one last thing on the trail cameras is evaluate where you're putting them. Uh, because if that camera's out there and it's not getting pictures of deer or target buck, then it's really not doing you much good. I mean, yes, you can learn a little bit from that. You can learn that the deer aren't there, like they're not using that area. But if the deer aren't using that area, there's no reason to have that camera there. Um, so I, I had, I think, three cameras actually this year that I'd put out trying to find the 2% buck, you know, the big deer that I'm after. I thought for sure he was using this one ridge. So I had one at the top. I had one at the bottom. I had one on like a creek crossing trail trying to just learn this deer and how he's using the property and basically didn't get pictures of him or really many other deer on any of those three. And so this coming year, I don't want to just waste my time and waste a camera on a spot that isn't doing anything for me. So I'm not just talking about, you know, taking, taking care of your trail cameras in this little segment here, but I want you to evaluate how you're using them, where you're putting them and are they doing anything for you? So, um, yeah, now's a great time, you know, do some scouting on the ground, do some scouting on the map. Maybe there's another place you can put them where they can be much more beneficial and you can learn a lot more. And so evaluate where you're putting the cameras. All right, number five, we're kind of blowing through these. Uh, Number five is shoot your bow or your gun, whatever it is you're going to be hunting with, shoot it. Now is the time to improve your shooting skills, not three weeks before hunting season or during hunting season. If you're wanting to, you know, extend your range or just make, you know, get better groups, improve your form, whatever it is, now is the time to do that. And for me personally, I do way more shooting in the spring than I do in the summer because let's be honest, it's just hot. It's not not near as fun to go out there when it's you know ninety five degrees and stand in the stu- in the sun and shoot your bow. And so, spring is a great time to hone your skills, improve your skills, and and just practice. Just get comfortable with your equipment. That way, when it is super hot, hopefully you're still shooting, but you're more maintaining than trying to improve because again. It's usually all I can do to stand out there and shoot a dozen or two arrows before I'm just drenched with sweat. Um, you know, now with uh, with my daughter and stuff, I'm not I don't have as much time to shoot. Um, you know, just free time in the evenings, and so now is a very very good time to get out there, 
like I said, whether it's your bow or your gun, doesn't matter. Um, and just shoot and practice and try to improve your skills. Okay, guys, we ended up blowing through that list pretty quick, and uh, I don't want to leave you all with too short of a podcast this week. So we're going to recap uh, the hog hunt from a few weekends ago when a couple of the guys from the, from the Sportsman's Empire came down. So, man, it would have been last, uh, like, November, December, somewhere in there. Uh, we had a, uh, a Sportsman's Empire meeting, and uh, so we had all the guys on a Zoom call and stuff. And I just threw it out there because a bunch of the guys had been kind of hinting that they'd love to come down and, and hunt hogs. And so I just threw it out there to the whole group. Uh, you know, anybody who wants to come down and go hog hunting, I'm going to pick a weekend, and we're going to do it. So there's there's so many guys that I knew trying to, like, find a weekend everybody could do it would just be impossible. And so... Uh, I just kind of looked at my schedule, picked a good weekend that would work for me, and just threw the weekend out there to see who could do it. And again, I threw this out there back in like December, so guys kind of had time to plan. Um, ended up having three guys come down. So it was Nick from the Huntivore podcast, Andrew from the O2 podcast, and Dan from the Nomadic Outdoorsman. And uh, Dan actually just came down super last minute. Uh, and he only got to stay for one night. Um, but yeah, that was, that was awesome to get, uh, so I'd never met any of these guys before, you know, we'd all talked on zoom. Uh, I'd been on a couple of their podcasts. I'd had some of them on my podcast, but we'd never actually met in person. And we all kind of laughed when we all kind of first got together. We were like joking about how like, like, Oh, I imagine you to be taller. Like I thought you were older and stuff like that. So it was fun getting to meet a couple of the guys. And, uh, I'd kind of, I'd been working a few weeks in advance to get things set up and basically what I'd done was I, I filled all my deer feeders. And again, most of these feeders I have pinned now. Uh, and so basically I opened the gate and and brought a T-post with me, drove a T-post in the ground to hold the gate where I wanted it. And I opened them about a foot to a foot and a half, about 18 inches. And uh, kind of did it for two reasons. One, uh, you know, a lot of these pasture stuff, cows in them. And so I didn't want the cows to get in there. And two, that opening works is like a funnel. Um, the hogs can only come in through there. And the big thing is, is once you start shooting, they can only leave through there. And so, uh, the first evening it actually worked out just like I imagined. Um, Dan had a group of hogs come in. He had, uh, I don't know, probably about eight come in the pen. There was more coming out of the timber actually, but one of the big sows realized something was up, either smelt him, saw him something. The wind was like perfect, but anyway, she was on to him. So she kind of started trotting towards the towards the opening, and Dan realized that and took action and lit into this group. And so he he downed the big sow with his first shot. He downed a smaller pig uh, with his next shot that kind of blocked the gate, kind of created a bottleneck just like I had drawn up. Um, he ended up shooting, I think, two more. Yeah, two more. No, one more while they were running away uh, out in the field. He shot one more that kind of one more small one that got kind of trapped in the pin. Um, he, he's pretty sure he hit a couple more, but they you know made it off. So he ended up getting four out of that group, which was pretty darn good. Uh, they had all asked me like what I thought would be considered good. You know, if a big group came in and was at the feeder and stuff, and I told him three. Three's pretty darn good. Uh, I'd be pretty happy with that. So he got four, so very impressed. He was just shooting uh, an AR there. Um, so, yeah, he had the one big sow, kind of a medium sow, I think, and then two smaller, probably like 40-pound, kind of hard to call him a piglet, but not mature yet. Um, so, yeah, so right off the bat, we had four pigs down. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, so we... Uh, 
run to dinner real quick and get some food and then went back out for the evening with some thermals and you know the guys have been asking me a bunch of questions obviously leading up to it and uh obviously they were all hoping to get one in daylight Um, a couple of them brought their bows and stuff and i told them you know daylight is possible but it's tough it's a little tougher but i told them you know don't worry because like we're gonna get some pigs you know at the worst case we're gonna go out with thermals and i can almost guarantee you that we're gonna have some action so Andrew had actually brought a thermal for this trip, and then we had mine. So we had two thermals, four guys. So we get out to the ranch, we're rolling down the ranch road, and I mean, within like four minutes, uh, we see a nice-looking boar eating out of one of the feed troughs, actually. Um, and so we're, you know, trying to kind of get things organized, and he heard us, saw something, and kind of took off running. And so I was like, all right, we're going to go up to the to the next gate, go through it, and we can kind of, you know, hopefully try to cut him off. So we get up there, we get through the gate, we get out, we kind of get all the thermals, uh, you know, ready to go. And we had kind of done a walkthrough at the house, you know, like this is how we're going to approach. This is how we're going to line up. We're going to do kind of a one, two, three type thing. Usually if there's a group, uh, you know, if there's a single, we'll just kind of pick a guy, that kind of thing. Just kind of go over like all the safety things. Um, I was actually kind of glad that we only had two thermals because just, you know, the more shooters you have, the more dangerous it gets. Uh, but two is very easy to manage. You can kind of get them up side by side. You know, I told him if the hogs start going one way, you know, you can shoot for a little while, but eventually, you know, whoever's on the opposite side is just going to have to stop shooting. Um, one of my big safety rules is just don't move once the shooting starts. Um, you know, guys always want to try to, like, run around and get in position and move around people, and that's when people get hurt. Um, so especially if you're you're hunting with new people, uh, whether that's new people that they have never thermal hunted or just a person that has thermal hunted but you haven't hunted with and, you know, y'all don't have, like, your system down – it's just very important to to stay in one spot. So, so anyway, uh, pull through the gate to the next pasture, pull up a little ways, um, turn the thermals on. We're kind of scanning, looking around, and we can't find that hog. Um, but I just happen to look on the on the next hillside in the next pasture. I see one load hog that just popped out of the woods. And it's like, all right, guys, like we got one back there. Trying to figure out if it's worth just walking or if we want to drive around. And then I see another one, and then another one. So we got like three pigs out there. I was like, all right, sweet. Um, you know, pretty excited. And then uh, Andrew, who had the other thermal, he looks over kind of to our left. He's like, hey, I, I got one. And so I uh, turn that way, and I can tell right away it's big. It's a big old boar, you know, out there by itself. Um, I, I don't think it was the one we had seen at the trough, but it was a different, even larger boar heading towards the trough. Um, and so I scan back to the right and by this time there's probably like eight pigs coming out of the woods in that other group, but they were further away. There's a pretty big creek between us and them. Um, and, and again, I'm looking at this boar and I just know it's massive. And so, um, it's pretty darn close. Like we're basically in shooting range. And so I kind of make the, the executive decision like, Hey, let's go after this boar. Um, and so we kind of take off heading to the left. Wind's pretty good. We kind of know where he's headed because of that trough get up and we close the distance to about I'm gonna say 120, 150. You know, it's really hard to tell uh distance when you're looking through a thermal. Um but Andrew had this gun. He was zeroed in, very confident in it. Uh we had a bipod for him and everything. And so he gets ready, hogs walking along and it, it stops, you know, gives him a good shot and he shoots and boom, we hear it hammer. You know, we can hear it like, especially bigger hogs, really any hog though, their skin is so thick. Like when you hit one, you know you hit it. And he smacked this thing. So it turns, 
and starts running off. And uh, Andrew's shooting an AR, sends another round through it, and boom, we hear another smack. We're like, all right, sweet. And, I mean, the hog reacts like it was definitely a hit. And so it's it's going along, and we, we kind of lose it in some brush, and uh, it finally pops out in a little clearing, and this thing sits down. Like, it's hurting. Uh, so it actually sits down on its on its butt, and I'm, you know, trying to guide it in. It's like, hey, you know, between this gap, blah, blah, he's sitting down, but put another one in him. You know, we don't start, we don't stop shooting until they're down. Um, and so he puts a third round in it. And this thing, like I expected to just roll over dead. This thing gets up and keeps walking. And so by this time, it kind of made it into this little ravine where we lose sight of it. So we're running back the other direction, you know, trying to cut it off, trying to get ahead. We're looking, we're looking, we're not seeing anything. And then finally, like right at the property boundary, right at the edge of the woods, we see this pig again. And so we're like, you know, hurry, hurry, he's getting away. And Andrew sets up and for a fourth time shoots this pig and smack, we hear it. And once again, though, this pig just keeps going and he makes it into the brush. And so we get up there. Um, we're, you know, looking for blood, looking for anything we can find. We're scanning into the woods. Um, we're good friends with this neighbor. You know, I know that he's not going to mind if we if we cross to his side of the fence, uh, especially after a hog. And uh, but we ended up we I mean, we looked for a while and could not find this thing. And like I said, he's shooting a six five Creed more put four hits in it and this thing just just tanked its way through and made it to the cover so so we ended up not recovering that pig kind of a bummer um you know I, I hate to I hate to keep saying this to, for Andrew but it was a really really nice looking boar so uh so we scan around a little bit that group you know they probably heard the shooting ran off a little bit so like, all right guys let's you know let's keep going move on and so we uh we go back out, kind of come around from a different angle. Um, I was scanning, and like a coyote popped up out of nowhere, like 30, 40 yards from the truck. And so uh, the other guys, they um, they didn't have hunting licenses because you don't have to have a hunting license for hogs, but you do have to have one for coyotes. So shoot, the, I shoot the coyote. Um, so that's cool. Gonna got got a coyote down. Keep going back, and we go. We're almost to the back of the property uh, on the west side of the property. Um, and I see a single hot spot out there. It's like, all right, guys, can't tell if it's a, a deer or a hog. It's facing us, but I'm going to say it's probably a hog. So we get a little closer, and I'm looking, zooming in, and it turns to the side, and I can tell, all right, we got another hog. So not quite as big as the first boar, but definitely a decent-sized boar, you know, out there by himself again. And so, uh, you know, uh, Dan had killed the hogs at the feeder. Nick had, you know, put some rounds into a pig. I was like, all right, Nick, it's your turn. So uh, Nick's going to shoot my gun. So I clip the thermal on the gun. We're walking up. He's got the bipod. He's ready. And I'm, you know, I, I can hear I can hear his breathing picking up big time. So I'm, like, putting my hand on his shoulder. Like, hey, man, like, calm down. Like, we're good. Wind's good. Everything's good. He can't see us. And so we get up a little further. And we get to, I'm going to say, 80-ish yards, and the pig's in the next pasture, um, but, you know, so we get up pretty close to the fence, I don't want to get too close, um, got the thermal on the gun, you know, hand it to Nick, Nick's getting steady, we got Andrew as a backup shooter, um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm whispering to Nick, like, hey, he's not going anywhere, just wait for the good shot, take your time, and so, uh, Nick's sitting there, and all of a sudden I hear the click, the safety goes off, I'm like, all right, sweet, go time, you know, in the bag. He shoots, and I immediately hear this twing, 
<laughs> I kid you not, guys. I don't know what the chances of this are, but that 308 bullet hit the barbed wire fence between us and that pig, snapped the wire completely. You know, the, it goes flooding. The, the the hog like looks up, takes off running. Um, it you know didn't hit him. It the bullet deflected. Um, Andrew, you know, right on cue, he shoots. We hear a smack. He puts one in it. Uh, I think Nick's gun had actually jammed, so I run over there, yank the bolt back, and I say, you're good. He gets up. He shoots and hits it. Hear another loud smack. Uh, I think Andrew puts one more in it, and this thing, again, is just trucking along. Um, I, I guess they were just, because it was going away, I guess they were just shooting it in the butt, basically, which is, you know, all you can do. Um, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what was going on with these pigs, but they just had supernatural powers for some reason. And so that hawk, you know, he gets out of shooting distance. We run, you know, jump in the truck, open the gates, go in there after him. And he'd kind of gone off this hill. So we're looking, we're scanning, can't find him. I finally see a hot spot, um, right on the edge of our pasture and the neighbors where again, it gets thick. Um, and, uh, and they, I want to say one of them threw a Hail Mary out there, you know, 300 yards, something like that. Um, but didn't hit it. And then he took off into the brush and pig number two also got away after again, at least three rounds in him. Um, I don't know what the deal was. Um, I, Nick was shooting hollow points out of my gun, which is what I always shoot. Um, I love hollow points. That's, that's just what I use for pig rounds. Um, Andrew was using, uh, I believe he was using ballistic tips. Not a lot of experience with those. Um, but yeah, like I said, these things are, just, they were both big, mature boars, you know, super tough. And I'm, I'm sure they probably died, but nowhere close to where we could find them. So, so the guys are feeling a little discouraged now. Uh, you know, we've, we've been on some pigs. They've had some opportunities. We hadn't quite capitalized on them. And so we, uh, we keep going, um, you know, we're driving through the pastures, not having much luck. Um, but this time it's probably two thirty ish in the morning, something like that. And we'd kind of decided like, all right, let's check this one more spot. And then we're going to head to the house. You know, it's getting late. So we check out the last spot, not seeing anything. We're basically packing up and my phone buzzes and it's my cell cam in the very back and there's pigs at the feeder. And so I kind of tell the I give the guys the option, I'm like, hey, you know, completely up to y'all, but right back there, a little ways, there are pigs at a feeder if y'all want to try to go get on them. So they kind of talk amongst themselves, decide they're there to, to hunt pigs, and so we decide to go for it. So it's not easy, you know, this is like my back deer hunting type area, not super easy to get back there. You got to go through this big deep creek, you got to go up this big hill, uh, you wind your way back there. So we finally get back, you know, fairly close. Um, and, uh, we get out of the truck, we park a good ways away. Cause at this point, you no, know, I, I'm feeling bad for them. Cause I just, I know they're disappointed. They drove all this way to get on some pigs. You can see the frustration in their face. And so I'm doing everything I can to, to try to, you know, help them out. So we park a pretty good ways away. Um, we go over the guns. Uh, I had a spare AR in the back seat that I gave to Dan. Um, and I brought my flashlight. And so the plan was for, you know, get set up on them. Let Andrew and Nick light into him with the thermals, and then, uh, you know, after they got shooting, I was going to turn the light on, so that Dan, I didn't have a thermal on that AR, just had a red dot, so I'd turn the, the, the flashlight on, and hopefully he'd get some shots too, so, so we go creeping up, creeping along, and uh, we get, you know, fairly close, the wind's good and everything, we got some nice, uh, taller grass between us and them, and uh, they look through the thermals and 
you know, they start kind of freaking out because it's a pretty big group. I want to say it was 20 of them at least. Um, but there was this one pretty big tree that I really wanted to get around. And this, my fault, uh, we'll get there in a second, but, uh, I just, I didn't want them to start shooting and then the pigs go behind this tree and they, they lose them and stuff. So I, I made the decision to go a little bit further. Um, well, so we did. Well, about the time we got past that tree, we're kind of out in the food plot at this point, kind of out of the thicker grass, you know, taller grass. And all of a sudden, I, and, and again, I don't have a thermal, so I can't like watch, you know, I can't, I can't see the pigs, uh, you know, reactions or, you know, how they're acting or anything like that. I'm just kind of have to, I'm just kind of going off of what they're saying. And so we get past the tree and I hear one of them whisper like they're moving. And so they obviously saw us probably since we got out in the open, we had a pretty big moon. And so I tell them, hurry, get set up and start shooting. Like there's, you know, no time to waste. And, uh, and so Dan's like yelling at me to turn the light on and, and I'm trying to wait to let the, you know, Dan had already killed four. I'm trying to wait and let the guys who hadn't shot yet, uh, shoot and use the thermals. And so finally they start opening up, turn the light on and, uh, there's the wheat was just tall enough and the pigs were just far enough away that the light didn't quite reach there. Uh, you know, you could kind of see some flashes, but you couldn't, it was hard to like focus in. Um, so Dan didn't really get to shoot, but, uh, you know, Nick and, and Andrew, they both emptied their mags. Um, bullets are going everywhere. Pigs are going everywhere and stuff. Uh, a couple of them, when they got to the fence, it was almost like they hit a brick wall. They kept stopping, even though the bottom wire is like 18 inches off the ground. Um, and I watched one of them shoot, uh, like a, a smaller pig. Uh, this one slightly larger pig kind of runs around. I hear Nick shoot and I hear a thud. So I, I'm confident that, you know, he hit one. And, uh, so anyway, so we're, you know, the kind of the smoke clears, everything, you know, their guns are empty, the pigs are gone and we start looking around and we're just, we're just not finding any, uh, they're using the thermal, I'm using the flashlight and, uh, and I was like, man, I know I saw a small one go down up here. So we go up, sure enough, there's like probably like a 12 to 15 pound, like still red little piglet, uh, that they had taken down. And that's the only one we're finding. And, uh, and you know, they're like, there's no way. There's no way we only got one little piglet out of this bunch. And so we're, you know, looking around, again, using flashlights, thermals, everything. We're not finding anything. And then I think it was actually Dan who was like, hey, it got some blood. So we go over there, sure enough, some little specks of blood. And uh, so we're looking around. We're shining the thermals, flashlights. But where they're looking into is, I mean, incredibly thick. It's like it's the edge of the canyon. It's like my bedding area, my uh, my safe zone. Um, it's just kind of where I don't really go into, and it, it's thick for a reason. And so Dan and Andrew end up climbing the fence, and they're looking. They're looking. They find some more blood. So they're feeling you're more confident that there's a pig down. I think, I think Dan found some like intestines, like some stomach matter type stuff. So they know there's a pig back there hurting. And so they, they decide that like they're going after this thing. And I mean, they, they literally end, end up on their hands and knees crawling through these briars and under cedar trees and stuff through super thick stuff after this wounded hog. And so me, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to go in there. Nah, uh, Nick's kind of the same. So we're kind of stand, you know, standing out, and then all of a sudden, I hear he's right here, and uh, and then I hear like a click, and he's gun, guns, guns jam, guns jam, and then I hear a pop from a pistol, and I hear something running through the brush, and so me and Nick are standing next to each other, and I hand him my flashlight, and I pull my little nine millimeter pistol because you know it's coming towards us, towards the opening. 
and uh, it comes up right to the edge and stops. We can hear it, you know, wheezing and you know, struggling for breath. Can't see it, and so they're they can see it. So they're trying to like shoot it again, but they don't want to shoot at us, and so they're like directing us to go to the side and everything. Um, Nick runs back to get uh, my thermal, but the gun was empty, so he couldn't. You know, the gun was worthless, but he, so he just brings the thermal. We're looking with the thermal and everything. And, uh, and again, we can hear it breathing, and we don't know how big it is. Uh, you know, I, I heard Dan say we can't communicate real well, but I hear him say like it's not that big, but it's not small either. So eventually, I just climb the fence. Um, I, I work around. I can finally see it. I can tell it's not huge, and I I know it has you know at least one, if not multiple, uh, you know, larger rifle rounds plus the the pistol round that Dan put in it. So uh, I pull my pistol, get the flashlight, walk up on this thing, get up to it. Turns out it's probably I don't know. I'm going to say sixty pounds, sixty seventy pounds, and uh, get up close enough. It's it's hurting bad. So I get up close to it and finish it off with my pistol, and uh, and then poor Dan and Andrew, you know, belly crawl again under all the briars and stuff to get out there. And so, so I think they were still a little disappointed that they only got two out of the pack. Um, we we actually found out later. Um, I went back to that field, uh, I guess, two days later to plant my switchgrass, and found a third pig that they had killed that we just weren't able to find. Um, and so again, like probably more dead pigs those are just the only ones we found but so they ended up getting three out of that at the time we thought it was only two and so day one we wound up with uh six six pigs yep um so i mean pretty darn good day and you know by the time we got back there shot um found the pigs loaded the pigs all that good stuff it was like 4 30 a.m i'm pretty sure i think we didn't make it back to the house till about 5 a.m um and uh yeah we had already gutted dan's uh after dinner before we went out and so we got back took the guts out of those two small ones real quick and uh and got them hung and then went to bed so uh so yeah next day we slept in obviously like i said we didn't get to bed till about five uh five a.m um poor nick poor nick couldn't sleep very well so he was actually up about seven thirty or eight i think and uh and got to work on cleaning those pigs and i gotta hand it to nick you know a big he's he the huntivore for those of you who don't know he runs like a cooking podcast and that was a big reason he wanted to come down because he he had heard the narrative just like i had that pigs were no good but you know there's kind of this newer wave that may, maybe they can be good and, and it's how you cook them and take care of them and everything so that was really his main goal for the trip. Like, yes, he wanted to shoot some pigs, but he wanted to cook these things too. And so he ended up cleaning all six of those pigs. He he brought down a torch and everything. Uh, he laid them on a pallet and and burned all the hair off and then scraped them. And unfortunately, I was still asleep because I was exhausted when he was doing all that. So I didn't get to watch the whole process, but uh, I, I caught enough towards the end to kind of figure out what was going on. And uh, I'm very... Oh, excuse me. I'm very, very excited uh, to see what he does with these hogs. He's already sent me a few pictures. Uh, he sent me some some pork chops he had made that just looked delicious. Uh, last night he sent me a roast he had made that also looked delicious. He said that the fat just melted in your mouth. The, the flavor was awesome. And so he he has done good, and I can't wait to hear more about it. I know he's got a, a podcast or a YouTube video coming out soon, and, and I'm really, really interested in that. So... Um, so yeah, that day, like I said, we were pretty much wiped. We ran to lunch, uh, we, we recorded a quick podcast and then it was already time for the afternoon hunt. 
And so Dan actually had to leave. He had to get back to uh, Missouri for his family. Um, and so it was just Nick and Andrew left and myself. And so, um, so yeah, the, the second evening we get out there and as I'm dropping Andrew off at his blind, he kind of mentions like he's not feeling super good. Like he's, he said his stomach wasn't feeling great. Um, you know, he didn't think it was that bad, but he just, he just kind of said like, man, something seems off. So drop him off and then drop Nick off. And then I go back, uh, towards the back. I was more going for like coyotes than, than hogs. Um, they've just, they've been getting after the, the calves and the cattle and stuff. So I was trying to take out some coyotes. So sit in the blind for, I don't know, probably 30 minutes, something like that. And then, uh, in our group text, Andrew sends us a text saying, just threw up outside of the blind. And so I was like, Hey man, like, do I need to come get you? Like, not a big deal. You know, are you hurting and stuff? And he's like, Oh, I, I think I can make it. I think I'm okay. And so I'm like, all right, man, just, just let me know if you, if I need to come get you. So probably another 30 ish minutes go by 30, 45 minutes. And Andrew texts me again. And he's like, Hey, I need to go to the house right now. <laughs> and so, so I climbed down, you know, not a problem. And so, uh, this is all in like our group chat. So I'd tell Nick, I was like, Hey man, you keep hunting, you hunt it out. I'll run, get Andrew, take him back to the house and come back and get you. And he says, Roger that. So it's so run, pick Andrew up and poor guy. I mean, he was hurting. I could tell, um, you know, not super talkative. Uh, I actually had to pull over one time and let him throw up as we were leaving the property. Uh, you know, I offered, I was like, Hey, do we need to go to like, you know, Walmart or Dollar General, like get you something, you know, some Pepto or something like that. He's like, man, I just need bed. <laughs> I was like, all right. So driving back to the house, um, and he, I'm talking, he goes straight upstairs and goes to bed. He, poor, like I, I can't, he actually, we were trying to figure out what was going on. I was like, man, maybe like, is it food poisoning from lunch? And the only thing he had had that none of the rest of us had had was a salad, um, and so we thought it might have been food poisoning. He said he'd been sick a few weeks before. Um, and he, <laughs> this is how bad it was. He he said he hoped it was food poisoning because whatever sickness he'd had a few weeks ago was worse. And like, I've had food poisoning and I can't imagine too much worse than that. So, so anyway, get him in bed. Um, ended up, he, he ended up being all right. Uh, you know, he, we didn't have to bring him anything. Uh, he slept through the night, woke up early the next morning and hit the road. So, um, so yeah. Luckily, he wasn't too bad. Um, so anyway, so I head back to to pick up Nick, and I just gotten back to the property, gone through the first gate, and my phone buzzes, and it was him. And I think the first text said like "tank coming in" or something like that, and then immediately followed up was "bro," uh, was like "brute down" or something like that. And so I'm I'm jazzed, like. Yeah, so excited. Um, he was shooting my AR with the red dot on it. So fly back there. I'm driving way through, uh, way too fast through the pastures because it's getting dark. I want to try to get some good photos for him and everything. Get back there to him, and sure enough, he had taken a pretty nice boar. Uh, so we, you know, laid him out, got some nice pictures and everything. Uh, ended up having to drag him uphill to the truck, which was not super fun. Um, but he was, he, you know, he was down in a creek bed and, and there's just no way to get the truck closer. So luckily Nick had like this cool little packable drag thing. And so we drag it up the hill, loaded it up and it's, it's about dark at this point, probably eight o'clock, something like that. And just to let y'all know how tired these guys were from the night before, as we're getting in the truck, my phone buzzes and it's a different cell cam. And there's a group of hogs on the other side of the property, uh, you know, pretty big group, probably 15 pigs or so out of feeder. And, but it's just me and Nick at this point. And I, I was like, Hey man, like, 
completely up to you. Like we can go after him or, you know, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> he just looks at me. He's like, I think I'm good. <laughs> like he got his, you know, definite one pig. He already had, uh, you know, four coolers full of hog meat. And, uh, he was like, I, I think I'm good with this one. And, um, and so I, I respected him for that. Like he wasn't, he wasn't there to just kill him and drag him off and leave him. He was there quite for, you know, really the opposite. He wanted to prove that, that you could in fact clean them and eat them and do all that stuff. So, so definitely my hat's off to him for that. So we headed back to the house, you know, got that last pig gutted and cleaned and everything. Um, he had, I forgot about this part. He had, uh, taken the, uh, loin, tenderloins out of the big sow that we had killed the day before and put them in a chili lime marinade. And so after we got done gutting that hog, he went inside and fired up the stove, cooked that thing with some, with a side of green beans. And let me just tell you guys, those tenderloins were amazing, super tender. Um, the flavor was crazy. One thing that, uh, man, I, I've just never really been around like a real chef. Um, Nick would like describe what you were about to taste in like in detail. He'd be like, you know, like first you're going to get this and then you'll, then you'll get this kick come after that. And blah. and I mean, it was just, and it was every time is exactly what he described. Um, my palate is not near as uh robust, I guess, as you would say as his, um, but man, it was delicious. And so I definitely, um, was inspired by Nick. I, th- I think I said that on his podcast, definitely inspired to try to do more with these wild hogs, because if you, you know, put a, just a little bit of work into it, they can be delicious. Um, one of the big takeaways I took from that tenderloin though, was not only how delicious it was, but was the size. Um, you know, like when you buy a pork tenderloin in the grocery store, they're usually at least, you know, 12 inches long, um, probably four inches thick, something like that. This thing was, this came out of about a 240 pound sow, we decided. And this, these things were like maybe eight inches long and like at the max two inches thick. Um, and so it just, it just kind of made me like realize how big domestic hogs are compared to wild hogs. So anyway, random side note there. So, uh, so yeah, like I said, when, when the guys hit the road, we, we had decided they had killed seven hogs. Um, I ended up finding the eighth hog later after they left, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, and for, for basically two nights, uh, you know, three to four guys, eight pigs, not too shabby. So, so yeah, that was that weekend. Um, I think we're definitely going to try to make it a yearly thing. Um, hopefully these guys will spread the word and we'll get some more of the Sportsman's Empire guys coming down to Oklahoma to experience it. Um, but it was an absolute blast and, uh, I had a great time. I think they had a great time. It was really cool. Also just kind of talking about like the different hunting cultures. Um, you know, we had four guys there from four different States. So we were kind of comparing rules and regs and and hunting cultures and everything like that. So just a really, really neat experience. So, so anyway, guys, I hope you all enjoyed my five things to do before summer. I hope you enjoyed, uh, these, uh, hog, uh, stories. I don't know why I struggled right there. Hog stories. And, uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. So, um, like I said before, I'm on vacation right now. So I hope the audio is okay. I hope y'all are enjoying it. I hope you're having a good spring. Get this stuff done before summer. And until next time, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.
you have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless, high-speed internet, latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection.